Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Rico Rogers. So Rico is a former professional cyclist who now is the owner of Box Altitude who work to provide altitude tents for athletes of all shapes and sizes. So without further ado it's time to welcome Rico onto the show. So Rico, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. No, the same, the same. I'm a, I'm a bit of a long-time listener nowadays. Oh, excellent! And we're we're above uh, episode 100, so I hope at least you've uh, you've got a few of those in. Um, and it's also really good to have people who uh, want to come on the podcast, but also want to listen to the podcast because, of course, uh, it is designed for those who uh, who are in the industry. So, yeah, massive thanks for agreeing to come on today. No, no problem. Actually, I uh, I took a tip from your sleep podcast a, a few episodes ago. <clears throat> oh really? Yeah, what was that? And I've and I've improved my sleep. Really? Um, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was having these really late naps, and um, and basically the su- suggestion was don't have them any later than sort of you know I think it was two p.m. And so I stopped doing the late late ones, and yeah, my my sleep scores have improved. Absolutely excellent. Now that's uh, that's perfect to hear, and what a great way to frame the podcast as well. The podcast works, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, make sure you're listening. Um, no, really good, really good. And for for people who uh, don't necessarily know who you are, can you give us an introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? So my name is Rico Rogers. I am the founder and director of a company called Box Altitude. Um, Box Altitude was started. Um, primarily because I didn't like the um, the current technology with the altitude systems on the market. And so I wanted to, I suppose, reinvent it and make it comfortable and quiet and controllable. And in your life before uh, being a businessman, making these uh, these altitude tents, chambers and, and boxes, what, uh, what were you up to then? I was a cyclist. I was a professional cyclist for... For around eight years, um, I I actually sort of started in Belgium, and then sort of quickly uh, quickly went along and and got a contract and and pushed quite hard and sort of won some races in in Europe and Asia and in Australia. Awesome. So that means you've you've done this kind of stuff before as well, and I think that that skin in the game is really important to. Yeah, the the whole process of of building these things. So, what? Yeah, what did that give you in terms of an insight into what these things needed? Um, I suppose primarily uh, what we found initially, because my wife and I were spinning, she was also the the other side of it that was uh, unhappy or uncomfortable. Um, yeah, we sort of found initially that it was noisy and hot, and and so that was a, sort of the first port of call to try and um, change that and so yeah I suppose over the over the journey um, the first actually iteration with the with the tents was actually to do a whole bedroom um, and then we we changed or converted our whole bedroom at home to altitude and then we we were doing a renovation we had to move out of home and so that's when I sort of developed the the four po- four post bed tent and so that was really a reaction to I still wanted to sleep at altitude. I still got great benefit from it. Um, I, I still wanted to be comfort, comfortable, um, and I thought there was a market for it as well. 
And so with the systems, we've sort of kept a foot on the gas as well. We sort of haven't really slowed up with development. And yeah, some of the some of the products are that's all of their I suppose grounding from where they've come from. Absolutely excellent. And when when you're talking about altitude training and altitude sleeping, um, I, I want to dive into a little bit of the the why and the the physiology. So first things first, like why is it a thing? Why do why do people do this? Primarily to to stimulate um, more efficient blood cells. So. EPO is a naturally occurring um, protein in our bodies, and so essentially that, we're trying to trigger for? that. E- EPO? What does that? Um, what does that mean? What is it? My my pronunciation of it's terrible, but epiprotein. Yep. And so, and so this is this is made in our kidneys, and and all of our blood cells actually realise when we're in a hypoxic or um, altitude environment, and so that's when they sort of trigger a response in the kidneys to to make more efficient blood cells. And so that that comes in the way of increasing your hematocrit and, and hemoglobin mass. And so with these with these systems, what we're trying to do is really trigger that response. And we do that by lowering your blood oxygen content in the space. And then that tells your body that it needs to make more efficient cells and then starts that process. Um, it's really a little bit like stress and you know load and stress and then reaction body's reaction to it so basically when you when you give the body less oxygen um it then adapts to produce um adaptations within the body which then allow it to work with that lesser oxygen level right yeah yeah and so over time you'll you'll see if you were to let's say sleep in a steady state let's say at 1500 meters uh, the first night, you'd, you'd probably see your heart rate would increase and your SpO2 levels would decrease slightly, probably not as much as you would think. And then over the course of those, let's say, three nights, you'd find that your uh, heart rate would start to decrease and your SpO2 levels would actually probably decrease as well and then go to a baseline level in which um, your body's starting to produce and absorb, produce more efficient blood cells and um, absorb more oxygen more efficiently absolutely excellent so i think that that covers a little bit of the the physiology as well um so when you've got that physiological um change when you're you're in the tent and your your body is producing these uh, extra blood cells for example um what happens then when you go outside the tent and start to perform well the the um the process is quite it's actually quite quick like you can notice a change in your um abilities within the within the sort of the first 35 hours the reason that i've always sort of known that is um i did a test i think it was anaerobic threshold um test and i found that my my anaerobic capacity was up around up five percent post 35 hours after and i hadn't done any any sort of training that would stimulate that sort of response and then with uh with the blood cells it does take longer for that and so the the increased hematocrit and hemoglobin doesn't start to really take effect till that sort of first hundred hour block sort of thing it's Um, it's really it's really fascinating how 
how little time it takes and how big a bump it is. So when, when you're an athlete, for example, um, and you're going to look to implement this kind of training, is it something that they'll do just before a tournament then? Or is that something that they'll do in the build-up towards? I think there's two things to that. Predominantly in the past, it's been a fairly short, sharp build-up, sort of let's say four to six, six weeks out. Whereas with our systems, because they're significantly more comfortable than anything that's been on the market in the past, what we've found is that athletes don't necessarily need to do that, I suppose, very short, sharp block because they're not in discomfort and they're able to train quite well because they can pair up the altitude with their training load. So if it's a big training week, you could pair back the altitude fairly easily with your with your phone because um, it's all controlled via your phone. And so um, what we've found is that if you if you take a long lead up, let's say six months or even a year of periodically going into the system and let's say <clears throat> having no more than eight hours a week because um, so that's sort of the maintenance uh, period um, in there, you will have significant gains. So our sort of idea was that or is that you do all of your base training um, sleeping at altitude and you get a improvement in your your level from the get-go and then you maintain that all the way through to your significant event. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think that philosophy w- works really well, actually. And that, that means that they, the athletes then can train at the higher intensities um, where they don't necessarily have to go to uh, a mountain range, for example, where they would be training potentially training and sleeping at higher altitudes. And obviously when you're going to train at those higher altitudes, it could also be more difficult to train at high intensity. So if they're using this kind of um, yeah, sleeping tent arrangement, they're able to, in this case, sleep at high, intens- uh, high altitudes, but then deliver high intensities at lower altitudes when they come out of the tent. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So what, and the reason that we sort of came up with that is quite simply because you see a lot of the studies and they do a, let's say a, a, a two, four, seven day post altitude camp um, fitness test. And they'll, they'll sort of see that post the altitude camp, they'll have um, probably the best benefit, sort of five, five days post. And so if you can keep triggering that response, um, you can kind of keep, keep the tra- trajectory in the right sort of, you know, heading up rather than plateauing or heading heading down. I think that's uh yeah, that's a really interesting way to to make sure that that's being periodized and make sure it's being planned in the right way. Um, when you were a cyclist, then uh, what did you think of altitude training? Because obviously, you kind of got, I assume at least, you got thrown into camps and you get told what to do, uh, and this is good for you. Um, what what were your uh, feelings towards that when you were competing? Um, well. I'll say straight out of the gate, I was, I was always a real geek with <laughs> with studies. And so when when we'd go away to a camp, um, I would have read anything and everything you could um, to do with altitude training or sleeping or or even hydration levels. And, and I, I really geeked out on it. Um, and so when when we would go away for an altitude camp and, or altitude race, um, I, I actually went very well acclimatized. So one of the 
tour, one of the tour of Qinghai Lakes that I did, um, I think I'd spent the previous month sleeping at around 3,000 metres. Um, and then on top of that, I was doing training sessions at altitude as well. And so when I, when I went there, um, I knew that my, my iron levels were high because you need to have high ferritin levels or iron levels. And I had already done the work. <clears throat> so, yeah, whenever I went away, I was, I was pretty well prepared for altitude camps. And I got great responses to it as well. I think that's uh, that's probably the most important thing at, the, at that time, right? Obviously, uh, performing as a as a professional cyclist is uh, is super important. Um, so when when you translate that then to these tents which you've designed, um, what's the serious advantage of a tent compared to having to go all the way to a, a mountain range, for example, for altitude? Well, I I mean I really loved it quite simply because. When when I was home um, at the end of the year, the last thing that I really wanted to do is to go away to an altitude camp or any camp for that matter. I just I when I was home, I wanted to be home. I wanted to relax. I did want to do my training. I, I wanted to be prepared for the season, but and but I didn't want to be really going away. And so I think that for for pro athletes nowadays, with potentially families and in such a busy and hectic schedule and even even with this whole COVID stuff, I think the ability to, to be able to do that sort of block at your beck and call or at your house, I, I think that's probably invaluable at the moment as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's the convenience as such and uh, potentially maybe the cost as well. I mean, it's uh, it's not exactly cheap to get yourself to a mountain range and, uh, and go back around uh, some mountains, right? Yeah, I think, I think even... Um, doesn't take long if you actually work out the figures i don't think an altitude system actually um will, will take long to pay itself back if you're if you're not driving to altitude camps and you're not getting it paid for by your by your team or or someone else yeah i can imagine that that for the everyday weekend warrior or those who want to improve their cycling uh, around their their uh, quote unquote unquote normal job um, that could be a, a real win. So when it comes to those weekend warriors and people who just uh, want to increase their performance but uh, maybe aren't professional athletes, is it is it a relevant training tool for them? Is it something that these people could and should be using? I, I mean, of course I'm going to say yes. But <laughs> I am a firm believer in it, you know? But why? But why? That's the most important thing. Well, it's, it's convenience, you know? You can increase your VO2 max by 3% by going to bed. It's a very unique tool in that way. You know, there's not many other things that you can do to improve your physiological ability by just simply going to, going to sleep. And I think in that sense, and it's very easy to monitor, monitor it nowadays with these wearables, let's say Apple Watch or Garmin or, or a lot of other uh, blood oxygen content or even heart rate watches. It's, it's a really great um, way to look at your sleep and, and then um, enact change in, in your routine or you don't even have to change your routine with it, actually. It's, it's a very easy, um, I suppose, training tool to implement into your life. And for those who think, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go buy a system, um, 
What, what kind of price range are they looking at? Because it's uh, it's all one and good us discussing these uh, these fantastic devices, but if they're, if all of a sudden someone's got to pay uh, ten thousand euros or dollars for it, maybe that's a little bit of a put off. Are they? Are we talking uh, fifty euros dollars? Are we talking thousands? I believe for a king size one, it is five thousand two hundred euros. Okay, so it's, it's not it's not cheap. It's not cheap. No, no, it's not cheap. You know, a lot of the time, it's probably not the first, I suppose, cab off the rank to increase your performance. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you are looking for for percentages, percentage gains, rather than big percentage gains, um, I think it's probably a very, very smart, smart move. I think uh, if you if you want to be lazy as a as an everyday weekend warrior as well, uh, a few percentage increases in your in your VO2 max. Um, while you're sleeping is also uh, is also quite attractive as well. So I can certainly see why people would want to do it. Um, when it comes to the practical application, what what do you need to do in order to get these benefits? Like how long do you need to be there? What kind of elevation? What kind of training do you need to do? Can you sum that all up for us uh, with some kind of uh, case study, for example? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, we we try and get people to start at fifteen hundred meters. Um, and that's a really great level because it does cause a change, but it doesn't cause a significant um, amount of increase in heart rate or or any discomfort throughout the night, um, and then gradually build up um, over the course of two or three weeks, and then eventually get to sort of two and a half thousand meters. Now, the the good thing with two and a half thousand meters, and we keep referring to it, is that you can have a busy workload. You can have say you can go and work your nine to five job and you can train in the weekends and, and you can do a lot and you're still not going to impact your sleep significantly. Whereas if you keep going higher and there's a lot of, a lot of people that, that are our customers say, Oh, well, <laughs> I'm really strong. I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to put you to three and a half. It, it, it doesn't really give you that much more benefit. Yes, it does give you slightly more benefit, but then again, you could well affect your training load and be able to or need to pair that back. So training, you know, if you sleep at altitude, you should be able to train as effectively as if you weren't sleeping at altitude. You shouldn't have to, you know, pair that back at all. You should be able to go full gas. So in in that sense, starting at 1,500 meters, uh, building that up, slowly as such and uh making no concessions in your training is the is the general advice then for people starting this yeah absolutely you know we've got really top tier athletes with very high vo2 maxes um and they're still only sleeping at at sort of two and a half thousand meters but their training load is is significant you know and so that's really really the um the idea behind it and when we look at other sports who maybe could be able to take a, a lesson from this, do you think that this translates to sports where VO2 max might be important, but not necessarily a determining factor? So uh, for you guys in Australia, Aussie rules, for example, and for, for us in Europe, uh, football, soccer, uh, rugby, do you think that other sports could take a lesson from this? Or do you think that it's uh, more important for the aerobically based sports? No, I think for for virtually all sports, you know, you sort of see Wales, uh, the rugby team, have been doing significant altitude training camps for quite some years. 
the English football squad has been doing proper football, not the, you know, not the football that they call it over here. Um, yeah, pretty well everyone. And I think even if you took it straight back to a very explosive sport, let's say 100 metres um, sprinting, even those guys would get benefit because it delays the onset of uh, fatigue. And although there's not much fatigue in 10 seconds, those last sort of, let's say, 10 metres, there, there, is, there is a bit of fatigue there too. I think that's a, a really interesting thought as well for, for people listening who maybe aren't necessarily into to cycling, for example, or the, the heavy endurance-based sports, but think that there is a possible win to be had here. Um, maybe it's something to consider for, for different practitioners in different sports. And yeah, potentially if you say a, a three to 5% increase in VO2 max, that's a, that's a pretty interesting amount of, uh, of change, right? That's going to take a lot of training to get there. So I think that's a, a really interesting one for, uh, for a lot of practitioners. Yeah, I think, I mean, over the course of the time, we've sort of reached out to quite a few teams and it's very interesting. You sort of typically see the top three teams will, will, be back in touch and be interested and in, and in really drive you for the conversation and the and the sort of the bottom bottom two or three teams as well. It's, it's quite interesting in that sense. And in the middle ground, we don't seem to get too much attention. Oh, that's, uh, that's certainly an interesting one, especially from a, a social standpoint and uh, where where the uh, where the difference can be made. But uh, I think that's a podcast for a different day, unfortunately, because uh, we're we're pushed time wise. And although it's an interesting topic, I don't want to steal your entire Friday evening. So, Rico, massive thanks for your time and hard work today. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully, look forward to speaking to you again soon. That sounds really good. Good to chat to you, and um, take care. Thank you very much, buddy. Cheers. See you, man. Bye. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Rico for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more information on different training types, all you have to do is hit the free link in the show notes, and you can be in there for seven days completely for free. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could spread the good word. That means recommending it to a colleague, a friend, an athlete, or even someone who you think might enjoy the podcast. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.